Welcome to the October 27th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Jeremiah 12 through 14 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, but we'll only focus on the New Testament in this podcast. I hope you're ready. Let's get started. Second Timothy. So as we come to this book, even though it is in, you know, in the middle of the New Testament, not in length because the four Gospels take up a large portion of the New Testament because they are long. Um, but I mean, just if you had a list of books for Second Timothy would show up somewhere right in the middle somewhere. Um, but even though it's in the middle, it was the last letter that Paul wrote at least the last letter that we are led to believe that uh, that Paul wrote. There were other letters that were written after this, at least the book of Revelation, which it's thought was written sometime in, you know, 90 or 95 A.D. But it's thought that 2 Timothy was written sometime around A.D. 67, uh, somewhere around there. Um, right before Paul died. And uh, as we get to the last chapter, the last chapters, this, the second half of this letter, um, very clearly in, in Paul's words, we can sense uh, an air of finality, that he is talking about finishing the race and keeping the faith and, uh, you know, that he's passing on the baton to Timothy. And so this letter is not only his last, but because it is his last, uh, we expect that there's much in here that is weighty. Uh, these are the last things that he would say uh, in a letter uh, that he wrote to his uh, uh, protege, Timothy. So let's, let's read through this in chapter one and make some comments along the way. As he begins this letter, he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So he said he's an apostle. He's one that is sent out. Uh, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he's not an apostle of anybody else. He's of God the Son. He's an apostle, a sent out one of God the Son. But it's also by God's will. It's not whimsical. Uh, he didn't make the, his choice to, to become an apostle. This was God's calling upon his life. And so there was a sense of, of purpose and destiny uh, in, his, uh, in his life because of the fact that he knew that God had called him and that he was a sent out one from Jesus to represent Jesus, to speak the truth that Jesus would give. He said, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And so that tells us that his message was primarily the gospel. Now, he didn't just tell people how to get saved. He also talked about how the gospel gets unpacked. It's not just how it is that the gospel tells us to um, be saved and be forgiven and be declared righteous. It's what, what happens as a result of the gospel as we continue to embrace the gospel. How do we live? And he said, that's, that's why I'm here, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's his introduction. Verse 3, I thank God. God. So he begins with thanksgiving. 
I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. And so he said that I'm not taking this thing called holiness whimsically. I am to the best of my ability as I also rely upon the Holy Spirit's power in me. He said, I am living in obedience to the word of God so that my conscience isn't bothering me. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, night and day. I mean, Timothy was a great guy. He was um, probably much younger than Paul, but someone that Paul was investing in. You know, Paul would pass the baton on so that when Paul's life was taken from him, that, that the message would continue on with other people. But Paul wanted Timothy to be that one who would carry the baton. And so he said, I'm constantly thanking God, Timothy, when I remember you in my prayers night and day. He's not just praying for him once a week. He's not just praying for him every other day. He's not just praying for him once a day. He said, I am praying for you night and day. And Paul's writing this from prison. You know, it's almost as if he can hear the axe being ground down the hall that would sever his head from his neck. And as he realizes that his life is about to come to an end, he's finding comfort in reflecting on those things that are real. And one of the things that people who are about to die, and, uh, you know, we realize from people who are, uh, you know, they've had a heart attack or cancer or things like that, and their life is being taken away, one of the things that becomes so precious to them is relationships, relationships. It's not, it doesn't really matter how high they climbed at work or how much money they had. They realize that all of that really doesn't matter. It's all about relationships. And I think we see that in Paul's words. He said, I thank God, Timothy, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He said, I'm praying for you all the time. Timothy, why? Well, I think because he wants Timothy to continue on, but I think also it's because Timothy was a relationship that he had developed, and it was uh, they had been through ministry together, and the relationship meant so much. And we see Paul's heart here. Verse 4, he's not finished. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Remembering your tears, so Timothy was crying. What's this talking about? It's probably talking about when Paul left Ephesus the last time that he saw Timothy. And we assume, uh, as, as we read the book of Acts, the, uh, the saints in Ephesus went down to the beach and they had a prayer service there at the beach and they were weeping. And Timothy probably was one of those in that group that was weeping, just lamenting the fact that not only was Paul leaving, but it had been prophesied that Paul was going to be taken captive in Jerusalem and, uh, you know, that he was going to be in chains. He was going to be taken prisoner. And, and it was always feared that he would not survive this. And so there were tears. They were lamenting the fact that this may be the last time we see each other. And he said, I remember when you were shedding tears, Timothy. I long to see you. I crave to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He said, I'd love to have some time to spend with you again because, man, that would make me happy, Timothy. 
He's writing this in this letter. Verse 5, I recall your sincere faith. So he said, I am remembering very clearly that you are someone who has a rock-solid faith. It's not superficial. It is sincere. It is real. You genuinely believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I recall your faith. But then he wants to paint a picture of Timothy's legacy, that Timothy is not this on his own. We're always indebted to those who have come before us, whether it's family who have passed on the faith and then we have embraced the faith for ourselves, or whether it was some Sunday school teacher, some pastor. Well, in Timothy's case, the one who passed the faith on to him, was his mom and his grandma. He said, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. It's it's noteworthy that Paul, who some allege, because he talks about submission, wives submit to your husbands, and we've talked about that, and It doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means, um, but uh, and if you wanted to see what I, you know, hear what I said about that, just go back to Ephesians five, go back to the podcast where I talked about that, and you can listen to it. But some call, you know, Paul a chauvinist, a male chauvinist, that he looked down his nose at women. Well, no, one of the many places that it's clear that he valued women and their place in the faith, it's right here. Paul didn't say, hey, I know that it got passed on from your dad and your grandpa. He said it was your mom and your grandma, and he doesn't mention any men. He doesn't mention any men. Timothy, I love you to death, man. I'm so happy for you. And I remember your tears, and I know that your faith is real. And let me tell you, I know where you got it. I know who passed it on to you. It was your mom and your grandma. Boy, that's special. Paul is just acknowledging that two women played a very vital part in passing on the faith. Timothy's faith was not their faith. He did not embrace their faith. He had his own trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was put in a position where he was more prone to give his life to Jesus because of the faith of his mom and his grandma. Friend, just let me tell you that you need to live your life for the Lord seriously. Because it's not a private thing. It's not a private thing. Who's to say that your child or children or your grandchild or grandchildren or maybe someone else's child or grandchildren will see you and acknowledge that not only they know that you are trusting in Jesus, but it's making such an incredible difference in your life that it's attractive to them and they want what you've got that's that's what being salt and light is. It's influencing. It's pushing back darkness, but replacing it with something good and savory. We are to live our faith like Timothy's mom and grandma so that those who come after us can see what it is that we've got and desire what we have. Friends, I'm telling you, there's a type of Christianity, and I've got quotes around that, that nobody's attracted to. It's the kind where you show up to church just because you think it's checking off, you know, checking a box uh, to say that you've done that, you've been a good Christian that week. But then there's no mention of Jesus. 
There's no peace during the difficult times. There's no love for enemies. There's gossip. There's, there's all sorts of things that show up that make you no different than someone who is lost. People are not drawn to Christianity that's just like a lost person, that, that behaves just like someone who does not claim to follow Jesus. They're looking for something that's different and that's real, something that Timothy's mom and grandma had. Be like them. Verse 6, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the laying on of Paul's hands were maybe at the ordination service where he laid his hands. There's nothing magical, nothing mystical that happens. But then again, Paul, as an apostle, maybe there was some conveying of a blessing, of a literal blessing upon Timothy. Uh, just like Elisha prayed for a double portion of Elijah's uh, blessing. Um, but what we do know is Paul said, don't let the gift of God that is in you, don't let the gift that God has given you to be the pastor that you need to be, to be the preacher and teacher that you need to be, to be the leader that you need to be, don't let that fall by the wayside. You rekindle it. You spend time with the Lord. Whenever you sin, you confess it and you make that thing right. And you receive God's forgiveness and, and leap for joy because you are forgiven and you are not condemned and you get back to the task. And Timothy, you rely on the Holy Spirit because when we sin, God's Holy Spirit is quenched, he's, he's stopped, and he is grieved, he's saddened. And Paul, Paul was essentially saying to rekindle the gift of God, he said, I want you to get your life, your spiritual life cleaned up so that God can work through you, Timothy. The people that are following you, the ones in your church, and even if Timothy had a family, they are watching, they are listening. Timothy, you be a godly example and you proclaim the truth. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Hmm. Why would Paul tell Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, unless Timothy was demonstrating fear? And uh, if you're not in the ministry, you may say, well, what's the reason for fear? You know, for a pastor. Hmm. Yeah, you never have to ask a pastor uh, what reasons for fear there might be. Now, that doesn't mean that we live in fear, but uh, courage is, is uh, fear that has said its prayers, right? I think Adrian Rogers said that. Uh, it's not that pastors don't acknowledge the presence of potential for fear and anxiety. It's just there are pastors who, in the face of that, cry out for the Holy Spirit's filling all the more. You know, they cry out for the authority of Christ all the more and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. And some may say, well, what is there to fear? Well, in Timothy's case, there was persecution. There was persecution. There was persecution outside. Ephesus was a, was a city uh, where it was not safe for Christians. It was not safe for Christians. But I'm telling you what. As a pastor, there have been occasions when people outside the church slandered me. I remember one particular incident wherever I was leading a church through a very difficult time and I was getting blasted, blasted by people outside the church in the community. 
I was getting blasted in the newspapers. Articles were written about someone that I had worked with that because of an alleged moral failure, um, he no longer worked for the church. And yet, I was the one as the pastor that was getting blasted. Let me tell you that that was a time of great stress and anxiety. But let me tell you that, uh, you know, that is, I'm not going to say it's nothing, but it's not nearly as painful as when those inside the church fight against the pastor behind the scenes. You say, oh, that's not going on at my church. Really? Your pastor, if he felt like he could say anything, and almost certainly he's not going to say anything, but if he could say anything, if you were to say, Pastor, is there, have you struggled with church members here that have really worked behind the scenes to make your life hard, but yet on Sundays they appear so holy? Is there anybody that's ever done that to you here in this church? He's not going to give you names. He's not going to tell you of a situation, but he'll get a smile on his face as if to say, yep, you were right. <laughs> I think that uh, pastoring is one of the greatest joys, but it can also be the greatest stress on the pastor and on his wife for this reason and for so many more. And if a pastor isn't careful, he can be squished under that fear. And I think that Timothy was dealing with the pressures of ministry. And so Paul spoke verse four, verse seven to him and said, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Timothy, you're afraid right now. You are struggling. You are being squished by persecution and the pressures with out and within, Timothy, and you are living in fear. And when you live in fear, you can't think straight. When you live in fear, you're not pleasing God because it's not faith. When you live in fear, you can't lead well. When you live in fear, you're afraid to do the right thing. And so you do the safe thing. Fear is horrible, horrible, not just for pastors, but for everybody. And so Paul said, Timothy, you're afraid, but that's not from God. That's not from the Lord. The Lord's not the one making you afraid. Timothy, you need to get rid of that because that's not from God. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but one of power. God has given us the spirit uh, with the uh, the spirit that is able to speak into situations authoritatively. It doesn't mean that you will win that battle, but it does mean you speak in with authority and power. And it's not you, it's the word of God and it's the Holy Spirit. One of power and love. Oh, so if it's if he stopped just at power, well, you know, there would be some pastors who were nothing but bullies who would say, well, you know, I'm living in that verse, but it doesn't say just power. It says power and love and love. It's speaking with authority and leading with authority without fear, doing the right thing, even when it's the hard thing but doing it because you love God and because you love the truth and because you love the people that you are serving. A spirit of power and a spirit of love and of sound judgment. To, to have wisdom, to be able to, to know the right thing to do, to be able to assess how you need to deal with things. This is another thing. When we are fearful, oftentimes we will overreact. If, if you, you know, this is, uh, you know, we've got Halloween coming up. I have never been through a haunted house. The, the only one I've ever, that's kind of remotely like that, was um, whenever I went to the Magic Kingdom quite a few years ago and I went into one of the houses 
horses that they had there that was based off uh, a Disney movie. So there was cartoons and that sort of thing. But I know, I can imagine that if someone was to go into a place like that and they're already frightened, they're wondering what's going to jump out at me, what's going on, and so they're filled with fear. If Even if one of their friends who's just wanting to play a trick on them creeps up behind them and says, boo, or yeah, you know, just scares them, all of a sudden that person may end up with a sore nose <laughs> because when you are fearful, you overreact. You overreact, not sound judgment. And that's unfortunate because in church life, if a pastor is fearful, then he's going to overreact. He's not going to respond well to people. Whenever someone says, Pastor, I need to talk to you in your office sometime really soon, it's very important. Immediately, he's going to assume it's something real bad, and he's going to go in with the wall, you know, the imaginary invisible wall up, and he's ready. He's loaded for bear because he doesn't have sound judgment. And so a pastor, a leader, a Christian cannot let fear reign in our bodies. We are not given the spirit of fear by God, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And this is so relevant for pastors. Verse 8, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Paul was realizing that because he was in prison, Timothy may be a bit ashamed of him. Oh, yeah, you know, Paul got himself in trouble. He probably said something he shouldn't have said or did something he shouldn't have said or shouldn't have done or else he wouldn't be in prison. And so maybe there would have been kind of a pushing away. Oh, yeah, I used to know Paul, but we're not friends now. Paul said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't you be afraid to speak the truth of the gospel and don't be afraid of me, and don't be ashamed of me. Instead, embrace the suffering that comes from proclaiming the gospel. Realize that when you proclaim truth, those outside the church and even some inside the church will despise you for it. They will fight against you and realize that you've got to go on and continue proclaiming the gospel anyway, realizing that you are going to suffer. But as you suffer, rely on the power of God. The end of verse 8, relying on the power of God. Realize that you don't have what it takes to keep going, but as you rest in God's Holy Spirit, He can give you the power to keep on going. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And so Paul essentially is just reminding Timothy of the gospel. He saved us. He called us to a holy calling. Don't you shy away from living that holy life and living the life of a pastor that you have been called to live, Timothy. You do what God has called you to do, realizing that it is God's free grace that he's given to you to save you. So tell others about that. Tell others about that because he has saved you so that you can fulfill his purpose. What's Timothy's purpose? To be that pastor at Ephesus, to speak the truth and to live the truth even if he suffered for it. Verse 10, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
So he said that this gospel was made evident when Jesus came and he abolished death. When did he abolish death? When he rose from the dead. Jesus dealt with sin on the cross. He dealt with the consequences of sin, the chief consequence of sin being death. He dealt with that by rising from the dead. That's why the gospel is not just the cross. It is also vacating the empty tomb. Jesus not only dealt with sin on the cross and defeated sin on the cross, but he defeated the consequences of sin, death being the chief consequence by rising from the dead. And so, since he has done that, we know that we're going to enjoy being with him, living immortal lives forever and ever and ever because of the gospel. And so, Paul is calling Timothy to proclaim that gospel, to live it out, even if it means suffering, to tell other people of how they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then Paul says in verse 11, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, right? Somebody who yells out and proclaims the message. I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. He doesn't say preacher. He says teacher. Some people just really have a problem with a preacher being a teacher. I know because that's kind of me, but I'm convinced that so many people don't know their Bibles, so many people don't know their Bibles. I, I mean, a precious lady once in my church, in one of the churches that I pastored, a very precious lady. I, I, I would hope that she wouldn't listen to this podcast because if she was to hear this, if she was to get hurt, and I don't know that she would be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that to happen. But I don't think she listens to this. And so I'll tell you that very precious lady, um, I think, I don't know if she texted or emailed me, but uh, she said, hey, I just uh, wanted to know where in the Bible can I find the sinner's prayer? And I hit my forehead with my hand and thought, oh my goodness, do we not know the Bible well enough to realize that the sinner's prayer never appears in Scripture? Um, I'm telling you, I have had so many people call me up and ask me about basic Bible truth, that they've been supposedly saved for decades, and they've been supposedly attending church for those decades, and yet they're calling and asking basic truth. Now, I don't want people who have a legitimate question to not call me because I'm going to think badly about the nature or the caliber of their question. But what I'm sharing with you is not the individual um, questions that, that get asked so much as in, I've just learned over the years, I am convinced that those, most of those, I would say most of those who sit on the pews in our churches do not know their Bibles. They do not know their Bibles. And so that's why whenever I look at God's Word and I get up on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, there's an elevated passion. Sometimes the voice goes up a little bit. A lot of people associate that with preaching. Um, but, uh, but what I do is I unpack God's Word. I unpack God's Word. I teach. Uh, this is what Paul said he did here in verse 11. For this gospel, uh, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. Honestly, if you want to go back and just kind of check me on this, you could go back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. It gives the qualifications for the pastor. 
I think it's at the end of verse 2. It does not say able to preach. It says able to teach. Preaching doesn't even show up in that. It's able to teach. And in fact, I mean, if you were to just look at the duties of a pastor, if you were to maybe Google that, then there would be a few verses that show up if it's just showing you verses in the Bible. I'm not talking about people's opinion. I'm saying if it's a if it's just like openbible.org, I think, and, and some others, if, if you just go there and look, uh, it will show you verses, most of which say teach rather than preach. Um, I we ought to preach and call for decisions in that moment. I have an invitation every single Sunday morning. I call for decisions, but I teach because people don't know the Bible and I want them to know their Bibles. Verse 11, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. He said, that's why I'm struggling. That's why I'm in jail right now. That's why I'm probably about to die. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Yeah, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I may die here real soon, but I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And so the implication is, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of Jesus either. And don't be ashamed of me. Verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Teaching again. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. That means it's biblical. It's doctrinally correct. It is, it's what the Bible teaches. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, So he says that you have heard from me, sound teaching that you have heard from me. And we would say, well, you know, I'd rather go to the Bible than listen to an individual. But what Paul is saying is, is that he was writing scripture. <laughs> I mean, whenever we're learning sound truth, from First and Second Timothy, these are Paul's words that we have heard from Paul. It's just the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul and has revealed these things to us. And so there was no New Testament. There were books that were being written, letters that were being written that were seen to be Scripture even in the first century, but the New Testament was not complete. And so as Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, I want you to hold to sound teaching that you have heard from me. In 2022, you know, uh, as we uh, look at this, this would be applied to us in this way. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have read in the scriptures, that you have read that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote and that Jude wrote and that James wrote. All of these men that were used by God's Holy Spirit to get truth down on the page. Hold to sound teaching that you see there. Verse 14, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the good deposit. Now, what is the good deposit? Through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Well, that good deposit or that good thing is the gospel. Guard the gospel through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let the Holy Spirit have free reign within you so that he confirms the truth of the gospel and then empowers you to proclaim it to others. Guard the good deposit. Don't mess with the gospel. There are tons of people who are going to mess with the gospel. Timothy, you guard the gospel. You guard that good deposit. 
Verse 15, you know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And so one of the things that we see Paul did is, you know, every now and then he would name names. He would name names. You know all those in the province of Asia, all of those in the province of Asia deserted me. The province of Asia, Paul may be referring to the churches that he went to on his first and second missionary journey. Lystra, Pergamum, um, um, Iconium, and some of those other churches that he visited where there was persecution. He said, you know all those in the province of Asia have deserted me. Um, And uh, so that's just kind of sad. You know, Paul's feeling alone, probably discouraged that all of that work, all of that abuse, all of that persecution, he was stoned in Lystra, left for dead. And then he looks back and he says, they've deserted me. They left me. I'm telling you, this is another one of the many struggles of a pastor is a lot of times, I'm telling you, there are times in a pastor's life, in many pastors' life, whenever they ask themselves the question, why am I even doing this? Why am I even doing this? I'm going through all of this mess. I'm creating stress for my wife, all of the stresses that a pastor's wife goes through, and I'm still working on a book uh, for pastor's wives. I've got an article that I wrote, um, I think, a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that, that's got like over 5,000 views on it. Um, I think it's the 10... Um, difficulties of being a pastor's wife, and pastor's wives continue to find that article and to read that, and every now and then send me correspondence about how much it means to them that someone understands them. But sometimes pastors say, I'm putting my wife through all of this. My kids go through stress that many other kids in churches just don't even understand, much less you know, experience. And then he said, all it takes is one wrong thing, one misplaced statement, one action where I dealt with something, and then that family is just angry and upset, and they cause discord within the church, and then I have to leave the church. Um, Paul, I just feel so bad for him. He invested so much time and energy And then they had deserted him. But Paul wasn't negative. He wouldn't stay there. He ends this chapter, and remember again in the letter he didn't have chapters, but he ends this section with three verses about a man man named Onesiphorus. Listen to verses 16 through 18. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Onesiphorus sounds like he was a wonderful guy. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains. He wasn't afraid of the fact of going into prison and being associated with Paul. And he went in and he encouraged Paul. What did he do? Did he give him money? Did he give him clothes? Did he give him food? Was he just sitting down just to talk about the glories of salvation and the glories of heaven that await them? We don't know. But he said, that he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. So we're led to believe Paul is in Rome as he writes this letter. On the contrary, when he, Onesiphorus, was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtain mercy from him on that day. 
you know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Uh, Paul, is he wrote one little phrase about Phygelus and Hermogenes, how they deserted him, how all of the people of Asia deserted him, but he finishes up with that and then spends quite a bit of time on a man named Onesiphorus and just wants to dwell on how much Onesiphorus meant to him. Friends, let me tell you that whether it's a pastor or an associate pastor or a children's minister, you know, somebody that's going through struggle, or maybe it's not even somebody in your church, it's somebody else, some other Christian. Whenever they are going through difficult times, you may not know it, But your words of encouragement, your value placed upon them by you going out of your way to serve them and help them, you may never know just how much you mean to them and how it is that you may be God's breath of fresh air for them, God's gift of grace to them to keep them going. So I just want to encourage us not to be a Phygelus and a Hermogenes, but to be an Onesiphorus who refreshes other people. Particularly, particularly those who are men and women in the faith, and maybe even more particularly, those guys that are leading the churches uh, that we all attend. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. As uh, we've read this, thank you for ending our reading today with a man named Onesiphorus. Father, I pray that each of us would desire to be him. Um, Lord, it may be some youth that attends our church or maybe some employee at the, at the place that we work that's discouraged. Um, it could, it could be someone in ministry, maybe our Sunday school teacher, Bible study teacher. It can be any number of things. Father, a lot of people are going through some really difficult times right now. And the finances that uh, so many people are struggling with, with inflation. And um, we're just wondering if eventually, or maybe within the next year, we're going to be in a place where many people are being laid off. Um, it's not just the finances, it's other things that just people are carrying on their shoulders. And so many people are struggling around us. Lord, help us to be an Onesiphorus. Help us to encourage, help us to refresh, help us to give value to others by going out of our way to be a blessing to them. Lord, as the Apostle Paul was in prison, he was reflecting on Onesiphorus and all that he had done for him. Lord, I just pray that we would be that God that would help someone in need. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time. Thank you.